Yeah, every week, I feel like it's going to get easier, but still as nervous as ever, right? New people here today, so I'm even more nervous today. <laughs> All right, so my, the sermon of my title is called Ruth and Naomi, Two Sides of the Same Coin. And let me read the passage that I'm going to be going over for today. It's Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. And I'm going to read it out loud to you guys. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So let me pray for you guys. (sighs) Dear Heavenly Father, as we... um, yeah, dear Heavenly Father, as we um, prepare to absorb this uh, passage and this message, Lord, I pray that you use me as your mouthpiece to convey what you want uh, the congregation, the church, to learn from this message, Lord. I pray that you just give me the boldness and confidence to speak, and I pray that um, yeah, you just take away this nervous energy that I'm feeling, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Just name pray, man. Okay. So last week was uh, Easter Sunday, and um, we talked a lot about the resurrection. And I was reading the book of uh, Matthew and the book of Luke, and I started to go over the genealogies in both books. And I noticed uh, something unique in uh, the book of Matthew. Matthew has a lot of uh, females in the genealogy of Jesus. They mention people like um, Rahab, and they mention Ruth. So I thought, why not write a sermon on one of the female characters, I mean one of the females that are listed in the genealogy. So I chose Ruth. And a lot of, uh, yeah, so if you look at the Ruth, book of Ruth, you know, a lot, many times people see this as like this ultimate love story, right? Find your Boaz or find your Ruth. You know, everyone likes a good love story, even me. And so a lot of us are single here, a lot of us are looking for our Ruths or our Boazes. So it's, so it's simple to see why the story gets so much attention, right? And why people use it in this way as a love story. But actually, when you read that passage as I did, you see that these two dialogues between um, Ruth and Naomi, you see that this dialogue is real. It's not really one of love, but you see that this is more of a story of um, loss, renewal, and redemption. And you see this in the dialogues between Ruth and Naomi. So this story, while it is a love story, this story is more of a story of the reality of the human experience. One where, you know, everything is not 
roses and peaches where everything's going good in your life. But this is filled about the truth of life, of hardness and bitterness that comes with, with living life. So this story has so much more than the title of love story. And when you put it in this uh, category of love story, sometimes you can miss out on some of the nuances or some of the more deeper meanings behind the passages and the story of uh, Ruth as a whole. Yes, so you see from these two different uh, dialogues, Ruth and Esther, these are two very extreme forms that they're speaking in. But to first get a better um, idea of the text that we're looking at, I think it's really important to look at the beginning of chapter 1. And in the beginning of chapter 1, there's some really important um, information that we need to know to really truly get what this passage that I'm going over is really all about. So let's look at um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read it to you guys. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab. He and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Yeah, so when we look at chapters 1, verses 1 through 5, we get a lot of uh, background information. And the author makes it very clear at the beginning that this story was sandwiched in the period of the judges. And as we know, the period of the judges was a dark time in the, in the, in the history of the Israelites. A lot of, uh, a lot of judges came up in the times of hardships, and they were, they were delivered. But every time after they, li- they were delivered, they slid right back into the sins that they were doing. And the, I don't know if it's a popular phrase, but the phrase that they used in Judges a lot was, the people did good according to their, the people did good in the view of their own eyes, or something like that in those views. So the people were doing good as they saw fit was good, not what God saw was good. So the time of Judges was a dark period for the Israelites. And we see right here, it says, there was a famine in the, in the town of Bethlehem. And let me tell you, this is crazy in itself. This is a crazy occurrence. Why? Because you need to know the, the Hebrew meaning for Bethlehem. The meaning of Bethlehem means house of bread. So can you imagine a house of bread having famine? That doesn't make sense at all, right? So this story, right off the bat, is telling you this is an odd occurrence. This is uh, something, something's about to happen because there's never, there's never supposed to be a famine in the house of bread. So the fact that there was this famine in the, in the land of the breads or the house of the breads shows how odd of a setting this truly is and is setting the stage for the story that's about to unfold. Now let's look at some of the characters that are introduced. Elimelech, what does his name mean? It means, my God is king. And then we have Malone and Kilion. And their names are Sickness and Wasting. And Orpah's name is the back of the neck, the nape. That's what her name means. And Ruth's name means companion. 
and Naomi means pleasant, pleasantness or the pleasant one. So all of these names, they're all named these names for a certain reason. They were all foreshadowing what's about to unfold in this book. Malon and Kilion named um, sickness and wasting because it's foreshadowing that they were going to die, showing that they were weak from the beginning. And it was setting the stage to know, to let the readers know that their, their names, they were named a certain name for a reason. And they were going to suffer the sickness and wasting. And Orpah, she was called the back of neck because when she was walking away from Ruth and Naomi to go back to her land, what do you see when she's walking away? You see the back of her neck as she's walking away. And Naomi, pleasant or pleasant one, is going to set the stage. So let's get back to the passage at hand. Verse 15, she says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. It's cool. <laughs> so, I mean, as, as Naomi's saying this, you can almost hear like this desperation in her voice. She's completely pleading with Ruth. She's like, see, your sister has gone back to her people and to her gods. Why do you not return after your own sister-in-law? And when she was saying this, she was actually setting this barrier between her and Ruth because she was making the distinction, your gods and your people. She was saying, your gods and your people are totally different to my gods and your people. I mean, to my gods and my people. Their god was um, a deity called Chemosh. And the Israelite god's deity was, I mean, not deity, the god was Yahweh. And in certain translations, it's not, it doesn't say people and go back to her gods. It says, gone back to her people and her god. So in a sense, she, though um, the Moabite religion wasn't um, a one-god religion, their main god was Shemash. So Ruth, when Naomi was saying, making this distinction between people and gods, she was really driving home the point of national identity and how it's tied with the religion or the god that you're praising. So the Moabites really identified with Shemash. The Israelites really identified with Yahweh. And these two could not mix together. Because if you, if you were a Moabite and you tried to uh, worship Chemosh in the land of the Israelites, that's not going to fly. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated on. And good things will not happen to you. So let's, um, yeah. Now after this passage, we see Ruth's shocking claim of devotion. And this is my first point, which is Ruth's extreme devotion. And then Ruth says this really shocking claim, right? She, she uh, professes this devotion to Naomi who's um, this old woman in a sense. And she says, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die. There will I be buried. And may the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. So, so Ruth makes this crazy claim to Naomi. And she says, my people, your people. And so she's breaking apart with Naomi, uh, this division that Naomi had made. She says, your God and your people are different. But, Na uh, but Ruth was saying, no, your, your people and your gods will become my gods. And we see from the beginning, the beginning of Ruth's um, proclamation of devotion that says, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. 
She was adamant from the beginning of her devotion to Naomi. And Ruth also knew that this, uh, that this journey back to Bethlehem, this, this life with uh, Naomi was not going to be an easy one. Because she even says, where you, go, I will lo- where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And she, already, she was already setting the cost of what it's going to take for her and this devotion, what this, what this devotion's price is going to be for her. So she knows that she's going to have to lodge with her, going to have to travel with her. And you've got to realize it's two women traveling alone throughout the country. And these two women had to set up camp, get food, set the fire. And you've got to realize two women out there by themselves, it's not easy for them. And there's a lot, a lot of dangers for um, just two women out there by themselves. They could, have been, they could have been murdered. They could have been taken away. Anything could have happened. And Ruth realized this, and Ruth was laying out this, this, this extreme devotion to Naomi. And she even says, where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. And she, doubled down, she doubles down on this devotion to God and to Yahweh and to, to the people of Israelite when she says, may the Lord do dust to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. So even though she um, didn't have this... Um, say this close relationship with Yahweh, or even really knew what Yahweh was and what he was all about, she still makes this claim and she makes this devotion to him. And she even says, if I don't do what I said I will do for you, Naomi, may Yahweh punish me. May the Lord do thus to me and more as well. And she's saying, even if death parts me from you, I will still stay with you in the land of the Israelites. So even if you die, I will stay in the land of the Israelites, and I will still continue to worship the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. So let let me tell you about this devotion and this church choosing um, Naomi over her husband. Back in those days, women's worth, as we've said many times before, women's worth was their ability to get married and to have children. And if they were not if they were not able to have children, their their worth in society was very little, and they didn't have much value. And yeah, people would look down upon them, and people would think that they had sinned, and that's the reason that they weren't able to have children. So their, the women's identity was truly tied around the ability to not only have children, but to raise a family and to be the husband, I mean, to be the wife to the husbands. So Naomi was choosing this life. I mean, Ruth was choosing a totally different life. She could have gone back to Moab. She could have found a new husband, and she could have started a new family. But no, she, she chooses instead this devotion to, um, to Naomi, which is crazy, because Naomi's a widow. She's old, and she's going she re- to realize that she's going to have to take care of Naomi in the future. But she knows all of that, and she's still okay with that. And she says this, um, this beautiful lines of devotion to Naomi. And let me tell you, Luke 14, 26 through 28 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. When whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? So this verse is really telling you to count the costs. And I believe when, Naomi, when Ruth 
was speaking these lines of devotions to Naomi, she counted the cost. She realized what, what difficulties lay in front of her and how hard of life it's going to be for her. And she knew that, well, she didn't know, but at the time, she thought she wasn't going to have a husband. And so she chose Naomi, even though all those things wouldn't happen for her by her choosing Naomi. So you got to see how crazy this devotion is. And 1 Samuel 12 through 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Another scripture about devotion. And let me leave you guys with this part for uh, the first point. So you guys have to realize that Ruth is essentially switching positions with Naomi. Naomi came to the land of Moab, right? As a refugee, as an alien, as a woman. And Ruth, she's coming back to, to Israel, and she's switching positions with Naomi. Now she's going to be the alien. She's going to be the refugee. And also, not only that, but now she's also a widow. And she's a woman. So refugee, alien, woman, widow, she's the quadruple, quadruple threat of um, the marginalized. She's got four things against her. And when, she's, when she says she's going to come back to Israel, she has no guarantees that the Israelites would accept her. Because if you know the Israelites, I don't want to say they were very nationalistic, but they had, very, they had a lot of pride in their nationality and what being Jewish and what being Israelite was all about. And they were really big on um, keeping, uh, I don't want to say, what was it? They were really big on keeping it pure, I guess. They didn't want, uh, gen- they didn't want Israelite men to marry Gentile women, and they didn't want... Um, they didn't want Israelite women to marry foreigners. They wanted Israelite men to marry Israelite women. So it was crazy. So by Ruth going back to Israel, there was no guarantees that the people were going to accept her for who she was. And more likely than not, they were going to persecute her, and they probably weren't going to be very nice to her. So you see that this devotion and this, this proclamation of devotion to Naomi wasn't an easy one but it was a huge, huge cost for her. And let me ask you guys this. You know, Ruth gives up her um, nationality, her gods, her home to follow the Israelites. What have we given up to follow God? Just a question for us to ponder. And then comes Naomi's response, right? And Naomi's response is one of extreme lament. And lament means a passionate expression of grief. And if you read this, this passage, you can see a passionate expression of grief. She's completely broken. She's gone through these crazy things, and she's going to pour it all out for us as, um, in these verses. And she says, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So you see, just from this passage, you see Naomi's idea of God is a very interesting one. She blames she blames God for her misery. From the beginning of the uh, from the beginning of the chapter, you see that she loses her whole family. Her worth is gone from her eyes. She goes from having two husbands, right? Two daughters, two daughters-in-laws, not, I'm sorry, not two husbands, one husband's, one husband, two sons, and two daughter-in-laws. 
But she comes back and she says, now she has nothing. But she forgets she has Ruth. But that's a totally different point. And yeah, she's old, she's barren. And like I said, I told you guys, right? She doesn't have kids anymore. So in in her eyes, her worth in society is nothing. And also, just like uh, Ruth, she's also a widow. So she's, a, she's an Israelite, but she's a woman, and she's a widow. So she's got two, two marks of the marginalized. But it's very, it's very uh, interesting to see that she goes through this metamorphosis from this, in this passage. She says, call me no longer pleasant or pleasant one, because Naomi means pleasant or pleasant one. And now she says, call me Marah. And Marah means bitter. So she says, call me no longer pleasant or pleasant one, but call me bitter. And if you think about it, she has every right to say this, right? She, she's lost not only, her, um, not only her, her husband, but she's lost her two sons, and she's also lost the daughter-in-law. So she goes through this metamorphosis, and it's crazy. If, I think in all the scriptures, she's the only one I could be wrong, but she's the only one that renames herself. And she's the only one that renames herself into a worse name. Yeah, Abram to Abraham. And yeah, Yeah, she's the only one that goes from a pleasant name to a weird name to a bad one. So this is really unique in itself. And in this dialogue, you see that Naomi calls God um, by two titles. She says the Lord, which is Yahweh. And the second title is the Almighty, which can be translated to El Shaddai or Shaddai. And these two titles refer to God. And the two titles that she uses is extremely telling of the way she views God. Because these two titles, you would only use them to describe, to describe a very powerful God, right? Someone who's sovereign overall. So she views him as sovereign and she views him as the reason why her life is like this, why she's lost her husband, why she's lost her two sons, and now why she's lost her daughter-in-law, and why she's lost her worth in society. But let me propose to you guys this. What she is doing is what I believe every one of us as followers of Christ has the right to do. We have the right to lament at the situations in our lives. If our lives are not going the way we think it should be going, or something happens to you, such as a tragedy, let me tell you this, you guys have every right to lament to God. You could say stuff like, Jesus, you promised me my yoke would be lighter, but why is my life like this? Why is this happening? Or, Pastor Kenneth said, a lot of us, a lot of people in church have been falling ill with cancer, and you could be saying something like this, Jesus, why have you given me this illness? Why? Why me? Yeah, guys, we can lament. And let me tell you guys this. Jesus can take it. He listens to our laments. And just as much as that hurts us, it breaks his heart as well. And if you see all throughout Scripture, we see, we see lament all throughout Scripture. We saw the Jews lament when they were destroyed by a conquering nation, by the Syrians, the Babylonians. And we see the Jews lament when they were rebuilding the second temple, and I believe Ezra and Nehemiah, and they, they were lamenting because this second temple didn't have the former glory of the first temple. So they were sad that this temple didn't quite live up to the original temple. So God knows all about lamenting. 
And he truly sides with the people who are in pain and who do lament. And this takes me back, I mean, this makes me think of uh, my uncle right now, who's uh, suffering from cancer. And I know I've used him a couple of times before, but I think this is really, um, this really applies to what lamenting is all about. Yeah, some, sometimes I'll see my uncle, he's been diagnosed with uh, stage four lung cancer, and I sometimes I'll see him pacing around outside. Or, um, for example, we had a family gathering yesterday. But I saw him sitting by himself outside. And I can't help but wondering if he's lamenting at the, at the, during those times. He knows that his life is, um, yeah, he knows his life is not long. He's most likely going to pass away. And I'm just wondering if he's lamenting at the situation that has been given to him. I'm wondering if he's thinking, God, why is this happening to me? You said you would heal. You said you're the healer. You said you renew bodies. You said you, bring, you heal the sick. But why am I still sick? Why am I dying? And I can't help but wondering if my, my uncle's lamenting. And I do believe that he's lamenting. And I think it's, it's okay. I think God, when he hears that lament, he's totally okay with it. And he... Though I don't believe he's making these things happen to you, I believe that he does, he does cry alongside with you and he does lament alongside with you. And let me give you this, um, this, little, uh, this little line that I found in a commentary. It says, Lament gives depth, nuance, and clarity to the story God is telling. As people willingly surrender long-held beliefs, prejudice, Prejudices and defenses. So our laments, when we lament, we recognize that our relationship with God has been damaged. Not through our own doings or not because we're bad people, but just because the reality of the lives that we live and the realities that those we love have experienced. Life isn't easy. Nobody said life is going to be easy. And nobody said when you follow God, life is going to be easy from now on. No, God never said anything like that. And if you see in Scripture, actually it says that sometimes life can be harder when you accept Jesus into your life. But the good thing is, though life might be harder, Jesus, Jesus is with you, and he's lamenting alongside with you, and he hears your laments, and he's there alongside with you as you walk and you cry and you complain to him. He can take it all. So let me say this again. Lament is an honest attempt at reconciling on many levels with our God. So let me say, so, so believers, don't stay silent when something happens to you. Don't stay silent because you think this is faithful. Don't stay silent because you think, by being, by being silent, I am showing my faith to God because I have trust in him. No, it's not that. If something bad happens to you or if tragedy happens to you, lament. Because lament will help you reconcile that damage that has been done. It will help you love God even more. And these, these laments allow us to give words to our experiences that, are we, that, are, that we are feeling. It allows us to put into words the pain that we go through in our lives. And it allows us to bring this to God. And the thoughts and feelings that we have toward them. And once we get these laments, we can anchor our complaint to God in a place and time that is integral to the part of the healing process. So the healing process takes lament. And if you lament, it'll help you along that healing process. And after lamenting, 
sit still quietly because now is the time to listen to God. Now is the time to wait for that answer from God. And then we can turn from our language of complaint to the language of trust and our petition for help becomes grounded in faith, in God's attention, attunement, and mercy. And I don't have the passage up there, but Psalm 38 is a great passage on, on, on lament and lamentations. And if you, if you have time to read it, you should read that passage as well. So God doesn't want, so God wants you to lament, and it's okay for us too. It's okay for us to bring our complaints to God and to just lay it out all there. Because as we can see from this passage, Naomi does it. And Naomi is, a, is an example that we should follow. So let me conclude. So what do we do with Ruth and Naomi? Let me conclude by saying that these two extremes are actually what I believe what make up faith in a sense. Because devotions and lamentations are both involved in faith. It is not just devotion to God, but along with devotion should also come lamentations. You need one. You need both. You can't have one without the other. So in a sense, it's two sides of the very same coin. Both are needed, lamentations and devotion. It is not an either or, but as you can see from this passage, it is both. Both are needed in healthy faith in God. It is only because you have trust and devotion to God that you are able to feel comfortable to bring this lament and this complaint to God. And you see this in Naomi's faith. And God hears Naomi's lament, yet he does not punish her for it even as Naomi brings all this and blames God for all the stuff that has happened in her life, God takes it. And yeah, God, And even as Naomi sp- spoke frankly about her disappointment with God, God took it and he understands that this pain, what this pain is all about. And in the future, he's going to bring restoration to Naomi through, through Ruth. And you see that this story will be, um, is not a story of love, It is a story of love as well, but it's more a story of renewal, of survival and hope. And let me finish this with a a verse. Oh, there's Psalm 38 up there. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So you guys, we can lament, God will comfort us. So let's pray. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, um, a lot of us uh, have laments in our lives, and sometimes we might be afraid to air these grievances to you, Lord. Well, Lord, you show in this passage that it's okay to lament. It's okay to bring our complaints. It's okay to bring it to you, Lord, because you understand and you listen. And you do not judge us for this, but you will listen to it, and you will be alongside with us as we walk along this, in this pain, Lord. I pray that um, you know we just we can just learn from the story, Lord, and uh, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.